Hey everyone, welcome to Game in Hand episode 5. Today is March 27th at the time of recording, and this month's Game in Hand is the two Diablo 4 beta weekends that just passed. I dislike the fact that Diablo 4's beta kind of left me with the feeling that it's not going to be the revolutionary ARPG that we would all like it to be, but some primal, deeper feeling inside of me kind of just maybe mentally reinstalled brain bloatware compelled me over the last two weekends to get all the classes to level 23, including playing hardcore on Druid and Necro. It has been kind of a status quo of betas. Some parts of me think it needs some desperate time-loving care, but I hope to shift some expectations with my thoughts after about 40 hours of play, since we have to wait another two months before we'll get our next sneak peek. Obligatory, let's start by saying, this was a beta, it's not an early release play. So as much as I can fault Blizzard for having my 1440p resolution using 12GB of VRAM on low textures and medium textures hogging up upwards of 19.7GB, I am doubtfully confident, no 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 wait, I am unconfidently optimistic something like this could be attributed to releasing an earlier build. Although I will say this is only on PC, as for the 20 minutes I managed to play on Xbox One, it did seem like it was just running fine. I feel like 90% of what is causing my GPU fan to shift into overdrive while using what looks like 8K resolution worth of VRAM tended to be fog in other players' models. I didn't experience any RAM leaks, but I did find that my computer was consistently holding about 15 gigs of RAM hostage, although usually I had Chrome open, usually with a YouTube window. Just goes to remind everyone that the age of having less than 16 gigabytes of RAM is slowly coming to an end. If you're wondering if your PC will run it, I can safely say if your PC is as powerful as a Steam Deck, it will run it. The threshold is not high. Although when I say the deck runs it, it definitely shows its weakness in CPU while generating shader caches uh, and in some specific environments. There are areas where 60 FPS is absolutely achievable, walking through caves, you know, with smaller mob density. And we're talking without FSR. It is just mind-blowing that we can play this handheld. Just more often than not, I was seeing dips into the high 40 FPSs, uh, in big fights, you would definitely see 40s, or walking through towns, you really would probably see 55 FPS max with dips. With FSR on, it is a much smoother experience, and 60 FPS tends to be a little bit better. But, and those bigger dips become a little more modest, like you're not really dipping past 50 with FSR on. So the bar for entry is certainly accommodating, which will basically ensure this game sells like selling air on the moon. This weekend was better for compatibility, uh, as we had updated Proton Experimental, so I am stoked at the opportunity to play on the go. But where to begin? Character customization was a bit of a controversy, because some people kind of want their special sunflower to look like the character they have been RPing since their entire adulthood, and not to be an edgelord, but Chonky Druid hate was kind of out there. just kind of overboard. 
I felt like the Druid's model kind of fit. I'm also the one who spends maybe 30 seconds finding a random roll that kind of looks like it's good and just goes with it. I don't need the Grandeur, I don't need the Legacy. I name my characters Cake and Blef. Although I don't think it would have killed them to just have all the body types for each class and do whatever you want, you know, if you want a druid with pale skin, vanilla pudding, colored hair, face tattoos, give a mustache to everyone, like, what's the difference? It's tough not to talk about Blizzard games without talking about cinematics. They've always been great, it's always been their strong point. I feel like their graphic artist team is on another level. It's just too bad it doesn't always feel like the story team is up to the same caliber. The story was kind of just meh. I think at one point it just it felt kind of long-winded and I just started skipping text all the time. Realistically, it's a $90 game in Canada, so don't let me gatekeep you from reading the Diablo story and enjoying it. Half of these gripes that I think I'm going to just start pulling basically comes from Reddit. Sometimes I think Reddit is a bit unreasonable in their expectations and demands. I know a lot of the heart behind it was really hoping for something a bit more different, high quality. And I just don't think that's what we're going to get. Although there are certain things, for example, I know people were complaining about glow-in-the-dark skeletons and looking out of place, and Blizzard said that they were placeholder. But I didn't really care. For me, it's function over form. They could look like they're rotting from the bone with awesome skin hanging off, taking up all of my... GPU's capacity just to give them the coolest look, but then you have to tell me how the mob AI is. If the AI is garbage, I don't want to use it. And in this game, the AI was both good and bad, which we can kind of touch on when we start talking about characters with companions. But before I talk about classes, I just want to give my introspective feelings on items and some mechanics that I think are really holding back a well-rounded feel for the game. First of all, in the open beta, if you didn't get a chance to play, there were no uniques as far as I could see, and sets have already been confirmed that they're going to be delayed until Season 1 starts, so a lot of the experience is solely just figuring out legendary flavor text. There's the other side of it where people spent way too much time on just one character and allocated some mixed feelings towards whether or not stats were having proper scaling, especially so early on it's hard to say. But even if you were maxing out decks, sure it would make a considerable change, but those flavor text legendaries are in line with Diablo 3 and Diablo Immortal. There are just certain ones that are completely build changing and worth prioritizing. I do kind of make a fuss about this in the game because you have to remember that your skill real estate is limited. You get six buttons on PC. And realistically, if your left click to move is not a good skill, then it's going to kind of frustrate the build a bit. I don't want to touch on it too much, but I felt like 80% of the time I was more comfortable playing with a controller for most of the classes. Any class that didn't have like a precision AoE, because sometimes, poof, controller auto-aim would do something stupid like try to target a mob behind a wall or focus on destructible objects, like it's just so weird. The drop rates in the first weekend were pretty good. They were essentially just handing out legendaries every dungeon that you run. Uh, this was in the KFC pre-order beta. And then they were a little bit more reasonably rationed in the open beta. I think 
for the world boss, the first time I completed it, I got six legendaries. And then the second time I completed it in the open beta slash stress test, I think I got three. And really that's probably going to be the more realistic expectation we should have for live, maybe tuned up or down just a tiny bit, but it's not just going to be handed out. The legendary imbuing system I'm actually pretty happy about. It's kind of like an upgraded Haraja cube, which properly rewards grinding for gear and puts more of like a steep investment into putting on your aspect into a GG rolled item. Those GG rolls won't be obtained from low levels as they kind of scale with the item that's being extracted. So look for later on for legendary flavor text to kind of be way more valuable. There wasn't any gear crafting in the game, so all you could really do was upgrade items and apply flavor text. Item drops were a little bit unusual because you could go and find a rare mob that was slightly higher level to the zone and what everything was scaled at. And so realistically, you could obtain a level 20 weapon that a level 12 could use or have that level 20 drop you a level 21 item. These rare mobs are indicated by a white circle that pings on the minimap. And through them, you can get some items. Like, for example, I got one item that gave me two skills kind of four levels ahead of when I could realistically obtain them, which I won't complain about. But in reality, it just kind of goes to show that you can get to level 23, probably even 25 in one concise five to six hour game session. And you can unlock all those skills with maybe the exception of the final passive tier. So I wouldn't feel too torn about the slightly advanced skill acquisition. By the time you pass those five hours, it's not going to matter. Gems were quite a letdown. Sure, it gives a little bit of variety, and more often than not, I was finding one and two socket items, but it's kind of Diablo Immortal levels of bleh. You collect them, sure, you can just pick whatever the best stat is. It just didn't seem like a very effective use of the gems. Realistically, I'm hoping it gets an overhaul, kind of around the same time as runes, which were scrapped, by the way, for all of you who are uninformed. It seems whatever they had for the rune and rune words wasn't in a positive impact state for release, so that kind of sucks. One of the main important mechanics to talk about is damage, and some of it might not be apparent to some. Uh, there are your normal hits and crits, which I don't think need an explanation if you've ever played a game. But then, besides crit, there's another mechanic which, early on, outweighed crit entirely. It's called Overpower. Overpower adds damage on top of your hits that scale with life, fortified life, and your Overpower bonus stat damage, which comes from willpower, I think. If you played the beta, you might have seen the occasional time where your damage shows up as teal, or the extremely rare time it showed up as orange. Overpower sits at a flat 3% chance, but there are some skills like Druid's Pulverize that guarantee an overpower hit, which is bananas when you think that you might just have to wait 10 seconds for an attack that will deal 4 times your typical damage in a single hit. And while you can't really bank on having that overpower hit, there were some really weird scaling mechanics with that, like Raven's active AoE for Druid's, that made me think that it might be a giant game changer if you can reliably increase overpower hit chance. Because at level 20, 
those raven ticks were pitiful. I think it was like 7 to 10 on mobs. Earlier on, I think it was hitting for 5 to 7, so you'd have to be pretty desperate to want to put it down unless it was doing something like applying vulnerability or take extra damage. But when Raven's active proc as overpower, it was ticking from between 45 to 60. So what felt like just kind of generic cooldown damage that you could do without expending resources suddenly felt like it was an elite name-killing mob skill. And we're talking about a druid running around in yellows, whose overpower pulverizes were hitting for like 400 to 500. It's the one mechanic that you can't rely on too early in the game, but I think becomes very important, especially when we consider that Classes like Druid and Barbs are probably going to scale way better than the rest of the classes in the later game. Last mechanic I want to touch on is just potion charges. I think it's a positive move for the game. It balances the need for hardcore characters to have more opportunity to access healing so builds aren't completely defensive cooldown centric. It gives them forgiveness for the occasional error. Softcore whatever doesn't apply because you can just throw your corpse face at a boss all you like until you get lucky and the pools of bad don't spawn beneath you. But maybe I'm just a little bit biased because at least hardcore feels like more of an achievement for rewarding good play. Okay, with that rant out of the way, let's talk about classes in depth and maybe a few gripes trying to play every class instead of tunneling on just one character. I'll start with the rogue, which I could actually see myself playing in release, honestly. On the one hand, you are deciding whether you are melee or ranged, depending on your preferred playstyle. The kit support and maybe even encourage some hybrid styles, but the mobility, crowd control, and probably potential for high damage hits is just insane. Being able to apply daze frequently felt great for lowly mobs, pointless for bosses, but I feel like even if you translate this to PvP where daze will be fantastic, I think I'd love it. I loved every ultimate offered. Shadow Clone was kind of like the de facto one to go for because it was effectively doubling your damage. Death Trap felt like it could be really good, maybe lopsided if you factor in the cooldown reduction on kill. And Reign of Arrows was an amazing one button, kind of just like brainless screen clear that can be imbued up. But I mean like a 60 second cooldown kind of made me lean towards Clone or Death Trap. Rogue was also the one tree I was looking at where the final keystone skills had me wanting more than one. As you look through, like, victimize having basically no requirement except for vulnerable to create explosions on mobs when hit? Fantastic. Momentum rewards for constantly hitting dazed, stunned, frozen mobs or hitting them from behind. Just like crazy damage reduction, energy regen, additional movement speed, it's huge and even close quarters combat, which actually is exactly what I said, rewards hybrid, ranged, and melee combat with separate attack speed bonuses on hit, and 20% increased damage if you do if you have both up at the same time. The skills that I kind of leaned on in beta were Puncture. It's just really good damage, easy way to apply vulnerability. Uh, I tended to stick with Penetrating Shot for mob clearing. It's pretty good for combo damage, especially if you have legendaries that scale your damage based on resources. Shadow Imbue for Explode on Death, Shadow Step, Dash, and Clone were basically just 
easy enough that I just loved using them. Uh, there were a couple legendaries that I was kind of looking for during my playthrough with Rogue that I didn't end up finding. Twisting Blades orbiting you, kind of like Crusader Swords in Diablo Immortal. I felt like that could have been like an incredible addition, especially if you're mixing in Poison imbue. There are there were other ones too that would have probably been good, like being able to proc a tiny AoE of Arrow Rain with Marksman skills. I really feel sad that I only took Rogue to 23, and I didn't spend enough time with Rogue because I felt like I missed so much. I think Rogue's damage potential is quite high, and I think anyone who was talking about the Rogue being a middle-of-the-road average good choice didn't look at it close enough. The next one on the list that I'll talk about is Sork, which, when I played the Sork, I think it was the easiest leveling experience I've, I could have imagined for the game. Initially, lightning builds were felt way too overtuned for what they should have been doing. Unless someone thought the Sork would have the least amount of survivability with the way that they built all those skills. But I mean, my early concerns over survivability were kind of demolished once I got more comfortable being ranged damage master race, and that enchantment class skill kind of just making some builds just stupid. The build I was rocking by the end didn't even use basic skills. It was 100% cooldown based with Ice Blades Enchanted, uh, which spawns extra blades every time you create 20 seconds worth of cooldown time, and on hit would reduce their own cooldown along with every other cooldown at a reduced rate. So imagine being able to keep barriers, fire shield, teleports, even Ice Blades themselves, and putting down the cooldown on the Ice Ultimate. I can't even remember what it's called right now. So you basically just have six buttons constantly coming off cooldown, and it felt like half the time you could keep up six Ice Blades just so easily. It would just tear shit up. It was so mindless and trivial being protected by two shields. Fire Shield, obviously, which you can spec into heal, and then Frost Shield, which builds up more shield the more damage you do to, I think it's frozen enemies. It was so stupid that it was easily on par with all those clickbait videos of people killing the Butcher in 8 seconds. The, the Butcher was a 10 second kill, no special legendaries, just pure Sork skills. You could literally just stand still at the world boss and pop cooldowns outside of the range without worrying about death. And realistically, I know it's been kind of brought into the spotlight because whatever YouTube is going to YouTube, Twitch is going to Twitch. I don't expect this to be in the final release, but if it does, maybe fire whoever's in charge of class balance and fairness. Like, it's a, it's so solo and PvE-friendly... This entire build was without Hydra, which, I mean, if you watch Gold's review, you know, two Hydras basically just wins you the game at this point. And the only thing that I would say is, I would probably pick up a skill like Hydra, maybe Chain Lightning, for group play. And it's only because you're going to be clearing mobs so quickly with other people that your Ice Blades are just not going to get enough hits in to proc all those cooldown reductions. And I can honestly say there's nothing worse than sitting around for 10 seconds with nothing to cast. If we had access to the Keystone Shatter, I imagine this build would be 
three times as great, three times as stupid. It was a 12 out of 10 for PvE, but probably a minus 2 out of 10 if you consider using it in PvP against people who have brains and know how to move out of the way. But it gave me a true sense of fun, being completely overpowered in the beta, and I liked it. So let's balance out kind of the best feeling in the beta with my least best feeling in the beta, and that's Barb. I don't think the Barb is useless, because we didn't have a lot of mechanics like overpower to properly scale, no uniques, I definitely didn't have enough time to farm all the legendaries. You also have to take into account that the Barb does get two extra weapon gear slots, which is big. I think it would also help if the Barb had higher HP, maybe stat scaling for higher levels. I think Barb was the only class that had like a full piece of their class missing with no technique slot, but it was just so sad. From a very simplistic point of view in the fact that early on in the game, you do not have legendaries and as very key legendaries that speed up your experience. Like playing Barb was so slow. It, it, I'm going to stutter here because it feels like it was so pitiful. Like early on, it was so pathetic. The builds that I was trying to make didn't feel good. It, like it didn't create flow for the Barb. It was the first character I I played a Sork back in the uh, non-disclosure beta, and I initially thought, did they really slow down the time to kill and kind of scale mobs so that it wouldn't just be a Diablo Immortal and Diablo 3 face roll? <laughs> no. Barb dumb. By the end of the first weekend, I think I had uniques in 8 out of 12 slots with mostly useful flavor text. So basically with just like a ton of legendaries, I just tried everything out. My first build, which was me using my brain like a barbarian, came down the fact that I would basically just buff myself and make sure that Berserkin was up. My thought process would go like this. Is Berserking up? Is the mob in death blow kill range? Press death blow. Fighting a, uh, an elite mob? Okay. Well, just make sure that you're standing next to a regular mob so that you can hit death blow and kill the small mob while hitting the elite. Are you fighting a boss? Okay, well, I guess... Just use Death Blow while it's on cooldown, and then you can stack bleeds with Rend. And then I tried to progress out of that build, because I felt stupid. After killing the world boss with my Barb, which has a standing and melee tax, I'll just remind you now, I had three separate Whirlwind Legendaries. So I thought, okay, for sure I am ready for good screen clear, and I'm going to have at least some improved damage having uh, an Ancient, extra crit damage for the longer than I spin, and the ability to vacuum mobs together. What they don't tell you is that sometimes that Ancient that you summon every 5 seconds would just sometimes spin off in a random direction and not attack the mobs that you were right next to. And it did help with pack clear, but it didn't even feel like an improvement for bosses. And I'm not saying that this isn't something that could be not quickly, but maybe like intelligently rebalanced, what I think is a skill should not take three legendaries to feel comfortable to use, especially for a core skill. I leveled up most of the time just making upheaval work because it seemed to be like the most reliable source of high damage before switching to deathblow. And while I guarantee you that my experience wasn't a positive one and that I probably overlooked certain things, realistically, 
I would have to give people advice that if you're starting a barb and playing in hardcore, you need to play with a friend for early dungeoning. Especially if we consider what open beta was like for legendary drops. The only thing that I didn't really get to touch on with barb that some people were talking about uh, was scaling with thorns. Thorns might be big for a barb. I'm hoping that there's just a big meaty build that people get punished for attacking barbs. But I guess we're waiting for launch to see that through. These last two are kind of my mixed feeling classes, and we'll start with the Necro. I know quite a lot of people are gonna say, Oh, how dare you say Necro isn't OP and that I'm and that I'm dumb for even considering saying that. I named my Necro Friendship, and I leveled with a bunch of friends when we got our hardcore necromancers to 25. Quite possibly the most broken mechanic ever is having 15 skeletons surround a boss, and the boss gets hot and distracted, I guess, from a good old boning, and AI breaks completely, where it just stood there, and we got 80% of the boss's life down, while it just kind of, like, twitched. That was the first mechanic. The second mechanic, which I think is less stupid, but scales in a very unexpected way, is the fact that corpses can be exploded once per necro. So let me repeat this. If you were in a party of four necromancers and an elite mob had two small mobs accompanying them and you killed the small mobs, you would have eight casts of corpse explosion total available to kill that elite before you even consider spawning corpse mechanics like Reaper Skeletons, or Channeling Decompose. Stack on other skills like uh, Blood Mist making you invincible. While channeling Blood Mist, you drop a corpse, and having a legendary that explodes corpses during Blood Mist. And then reduce cooldowns, meaning that you can almost just permanently stay in Blood Mist. I'd, I'd say at least having Blood Mist up 60% of the time. And that's where we have to stop and say, okay, that is, like, stupid OP. I don't know why they're allowing this to be like this. I'm hoping it's just, like, something that works really well early on that doesn't translate well once mobs have more HP and damage is less. Who knows? Outside of that build, do I think Necromancer's skills were necessarily that good? I would say that they were better than Barb. Absolutely. There were some things like having only two curses that I definitely didn't expect, especially since the curses were essentially thorns and slow. Like you had Decryptify and you had Iron Maiden. You could go down the passive tree to make them staple skills, which I imagine that they're going to have to be, but I kind of just miss the old selection, the variety. Maybe some of it is being integrated into legendaries, maybe some of it was too OP or useless, who knows. But again, outside of corpse explosion and just kind of having safety meat shields, the gameplay wasn't really the best. Blood and bone skills were kind of fine. I tried some of the shadow skills, and aside from maybe like reap for really good regeneration, it never really overtook certain skills. Some skills were just too easy to use, like bone spear and, and blood lance. I can definitely tell you that having meat shields was good and there's way too many situations where I really missed having like a bunch of skeletons blocking the way and drawing attention but there were also a lot of situations where you would go into a boss 
and reasonably never expect to have those minions stay up. It also sucks that you need to have two skill slots open for skeletons and golem. They're super good, and I know there's going to be a ton of builds that maybe get rid of one or the other, but it definitely makes allocating the remaining skill slots uh, a difficult choice if you weren't going to sacrifice them to boost other stats. Is it the worst class? No. Is it a super OP, way better than Sork class? Maybe. Is it a class that I think anyone could play with ease and excel at? Absolutely. Probably one of the most casual friendly classes that you could ever possibly play. And so lastly, I want to talk about my favorite little chonker, the Druids. Originally, I was going to side with Reddit that it felt like Druid was worse than Barb tier. But I think I warmed up to it after some trial and error in Hardcore. It's a class that doesn't really get enough synergy from beta limitations, uh, and legendaries were way too sparse for me to really know what was good, skill-wise anyways, aside from making your companion wolves into full-sized druid werewolves. I co-opted with a buddy, and we promised each other that we were just going to play as furries for as long as we could sanely do so. And what I have to say is, it kind of broke the immersion I was thinking when playing a druid, because my pulverizing bear attack would be would be intermittent between casts of wind shear while waiting for rabies, vines, and wolf lacerate to come off ultimate cooldown. Like it was, I basically just picked a bunch of mixed bag skills because I just picked whatever was best. There was some, I had one slot where I was basically bouncing between Ravens and Hurricane. Not sure which one I liked more because of passives. But it was weird because in Diablo 2, if you wanted to play a Bear Druid, you'd focus on Bear skills. If you wanted to play Werewolf, you picked Werewolf skills. I never felt like I was rewarded for doing so. I always felt like I was just picking, use the Wolf attack when you're bored, use the Bear attack when you're bored. And then I was like, okay, well, what if someone wants to make a uh, an army druid? What if they just want to have companions? I mean, okay, you can put all three companions on your bar, but you're probably going to hate yourself. Like, the basic wolves companion damage is just so bad. Raven damage was really bad as well. But I mentioned overpower was showing up quite often when you activate ravens. And it felt like the overpowered scaling for Ravens was just decimating that I couldn't take it off my bar. In the end, I basically just focused on what else I could do while Pulverize Overpower was counting up, and then just making sure that I could throw down as much AoE as possible. It felt almost Crusader-like. I would cast Wind Shear, movement speed would be high, making sure that I stayed in the healthy status so I could overpower. The only other thing that I think makes playing druid hard is using skills like maul the one thing that i would mention that kind of feels barb and druid share is some skill animation swing time sometimes it feels like it's just really annoyingly slow or it doesn't end fast enough but if you used druid's maul skill i think you might be able to relate and kind of getting on the subject of well what if you wanted to play like a, a pure bear druid you know i think that's kind of out the window softcore pve you kind of just you know do whatever you feel is right but i think you're really hamstringing yourself it's not the worst but it feels different almost wrong i feel after a certain point all classes had 
this kind of mix of everything. No Sork was truly 100% Frost, but you could definitely tell when Frost, Fire, or Lightning-focused skills did all the heavy lifting. Rogue potential for high-end damage, I think, is probably going to be crazy. I feel like Rogue is going to be another high-damage, high-skill-ceiling kind of character. And I don't know what to say about that when I compare it to other classes. I feel like the problem with a lot of classes is that they feel like cheap imitations of what they should be doing before you start to get legendaries. I think with the exception of Sork, and maybe Necro for just kind of how easy it was to corpse explode, which I think is why Reddit kind of jumped to the conclusion quickly and started crying about other classes. But I kind of stand firm when I understand it's a beta. You get an extremely truncated look at what the game is, Put your pitchforks away if you're really upset, if you're really going to cry. Don't pre-order the game. Simple as that. So without going out on too much of a tangent, if I had to make some general statements about what I think are bad skill mechanics in the game, especially early on, Poison and Bleed felt quite... Bleed especially on some builds, like Druid Claw skill doing 10% additional weapon damage as Poison over 6 seconds, Half the time it felt like it was ticking for 5. I realized that any damage is good damage, but that's not exactly a good reason to take it early on. Rogue Poison Trap was another one that was essentially just kind of a placeholder AoE skill because I had no skill to replace it that didn't take resources, and realistically you could just take the Poison Enchant and get some good skills to do more damage. Barbarian Rend uh, and Stacking Bleed I think would be a, a lot better if I could find a better way to apply like a quicker setup and be able to rotate in ruptures, especially if you start factoring in higher levels, impact, and overpower damage. But obviously it doesn't work great for smaller mobs, but Barb could be potentially a boss slayer with that, and potentially you could do it with just one or two points into something like Upheaval or Whirlwind just to make sure that you have mob clear speed. And so overall, there were just kind of too many skills for each class that felt underperforming compared to smarter or easier skills. Activating skills rapidly was also something difficult as there was always some sort of like stun or interruption or global cooldown or something that was preventing me from doing things like uh, rapid firing out ice blades even though it was off cooldown. But if you take anything away from this rant on how I feel about classes, I feel like you have to go back to the age-old saying of what's most relevant here. With all the skills, people will always choose the easiest path to success. My builds focused as much around time to kill as it did effort to enjoy. For the most part, I focused more on dungeoning than world events. I didn't want to have to run around for 15 minutes killing random mobs where I could go down hallways and always have access to shrines, chests, events inside dungeon. Don't discount world events though. All the currencies, mats, those purple coins that you need to feed to Gamblor, it was kind of the best way to access random legendaries. Whisper chests were kind of hit and miss. I didn't get any good treasure, but at least if you find a whisper chest out in the open that you have a chance of more treasure than say rolling and getting a single blue. The only observation I think I could kind of pass along is every time that I bought something from the Gamblor, everything was often under-leveled compared to my existing gear uh, item level. 
But yeah, balance is huge. I'm not expecting anything to change by the time we go to launch, but I think just some subtle tweaks might not make it seem as one-sided. Because there was quite a few times where I didn't feel like there was a clear path, as different skills kind of blurred the lines between having something that is single target focused and, and massive damage, versus AoE with respectable enough damage that you wouldn't want to replace it. It sucked to play some classes that really struggled early on. And maybe that's just like a, a Diablo 3, you have to spend the time to learn each skill to properly appreciate the class. But skill tree progression didn't help that situation at all. So yeah, really hoping that there is a bigger emphasis on skill rebalancing. They don't need to tip the meta upside down. They just have to make some things a little more that makes you want to say, oh, I can see this fitting into blank. Because half the skills didn't really do that for me. Oh, this was a lot to talk about for just a beta of a game. And I realize I'm probably going to be saying a lot of things about the game that I probably criticized other people about. It's hard to make too many presumptions just because it is a beta. It's a previous re release build. We are basically just stress testing the game and paying them to do so. I will admit I've already pre-ordered the game, most because there are no other ARPGs that catch my interest. Last Epoch definitely doesn't look like a game that I want to play. But also kind of the fact that I feel like they have done a lot of work that makes it feel like this is more of a redemption game versus Diablo 3. And as much as I grew out of Diablo 3, it still felt like a game that I wanted to go back to and see what had changed with Seasons. I think having a paid battle pass is kind of just corporate 101, but it also might reaffirm some effort into receiving funds to provide meaningful Seasons. And kind of just, instead of what Diablo 3's model was, where there was nothing but modest balance changes and then every once in a while they would do a, a steep meta balance changing with forced set changing. I know there's a lot of other seasons that kind of like tweet the game, but it always felt like it was more of just kind of like a different shade of a previous season versus seasons in games like Path of Exile where they do hard expansions. But I mean, like, I think that's where Diablo kind of like stands out from a casual market. It's hard to tell when you are just changing the game drastically or making too many changes that it becomes overwhelming. I think a lot of people have that problem with Path of Exile. Like it's so deep, you could spend years upon years upon years trialing everything, getting into a new expansion, and then just exploring what you can and making the best of what you do. But it's hard for each of these new seasons to come out and stay fresh. And sometimes I just kind of hated having to come back and figure out what changed on the passive skill tree or why a skill would be the flavor of the month one month, and then nerfed into the oblivion the next. And so sometimes I think a little bit of a casual experience is good. And I can say this, I am especially looking forward to PvP in an ARPG game. No game has done it well, and I'm kind of holding my breath in anticipation to see how much it sucks. <laughs> I get, That's not fair. So hopefully you'll understand where I'm coming from, Maybe if you've watched some reviews, maybe if you actually had a chance to play the beta, you know, maybe this gave some perspective. Maybe I'm just reaffirming what you've been telling yourself. Maybe I'm just completely out to lunch and you think that I'm just like batshit crazy. You can think whatever you want. 
At the end of the day, I hope we're just trying to make a better game out of Diablo 4. And so with that, I'd like to wrap up this episode with just some side topics. We'll talk about some news. Uh, I'm going to give some closure about Hogwarts Legacy. And as always, I'll give a game recommendation. Firstly, to provide some closure on Hogwarts Legacy. I reviewed it in the last episode, which if you're listening to this, I'll maybe give you a few seconds to pause, to skip ahead or delete the podcast from your phone or computer. While I don't think it's a story spoiler, it feels more like an enthusiasm spoiler. So okay, ready? We'll count it. Three, two, one. Here's the bombshell. I didn't see a single negative repercussion from my actions learning the unspeakable curses, except for how I acquired them and the dialogue options that I gave to whoever was there. It did not care how much I used them in the rest of the game. There's even one scene in the game where one of the keepers uh, uses Avada Kedavra in the presence of everyone else, and they all just kind of exchange super weird glances and then move on with their lives. By the time I learned talent trees existed in the game, and like you got a chance to go through and immediately you could see that Avada Kedavra kills all cursed enemies on the screen. I was like, as soon as I get this, like waves of mobs are just going to become a joke. And they did. It just became like an unbelievable joke. You could use the, uh, the, the Imperious, Imperious curse on like an executioner or a hard troublesome mob and then they'll just either go around tagging mobs for you or just literally one shot everything imperious mobs cursing other mobs is just is it is as op as avada kedavraing one mob you just spread the curse look for the x and then watch them pop i know they came back after the fact and nerfed uh we'll call it avada Cabarel which was, good. <laughs> we'll call it the greatest speakable curse, I guess. But it was just like, even without having the death curse, even without, without having the uh, the torture curse or the imperious curse, I think you could have gone just as far with being able to turn people into exploding barrels, confringo, uh, all the, the physics-based stuff. It, it was fun. It was, it was a casual experience. The boss was short and... Uh, disappointing to say the least but I mean like I got through it uh, I'm happy that it's done I'm glad I got to experience it I'm kind of just sad that this is the taste that's left in my mouth after going through all of that uh yeah I think that game played pretty hard on the Harry Potter universe which is why it was so universally loved I think it just was light and too casual to be considered my game of the year in other news anyways, uh, for those of you who listened to the last podcast when I was talking about indies, there was one that I mentioned named Dark and Darker. It's a first-person dungeon game with some really cool mechanics, uh, an ex exploration that just made it look like it would be so much fun, uh, and I really liked what I saw in the Weekend Alpha. That game was delisted from Steam due to Nexon having DMCA'd them. Uh, take down over copyright assets and code, which 
feels kind of bad. Like it was really fun. I was really hoping to experience more of that game. And so I'm really hoping that that's not the case and they get everything sorted out sooner than later. And finally, the game recommendation, of course, is Diablo 4. Okay, thank you. No, just seriously, it's not that dumb. The, the, the game I'm recommending is Resident Evil 4 Remake. Originally, I said it was going to be a pity buy because of my experience with uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I didn't buy. I claimed Final Fantasy VII Remake as the free PS Plus game, so I spent whatever the $15 and then played it for a month and then just kind of stopped playing once I realized it went down the M. Night Shyamalan version of retelling how Final Fantasy VII went. I think I had to watch a video to have it explained to me what is going on with the story and maybe temper my expectations for the next game. There wasn't a chance in hell that I was going to buy Integrate. And so I, I wasn't too high on Resident Evil 4 Remake, but then I played it think, knowing that I could refund it if it wasn't fun in two hours. And I never knew I'd like a remake more than I have with Resident Evil 4. It is old ideas, new coat of paint, new engine, reinvigorated. Sometimes it feels almost unrecognizable because there aren't the same constraints of like playing it on GameCube. Uh, it's not super innovative, which kind of plays to my nostalgia. And I wonder about some of the outfits that you can make characters wear, like, like what Ashley wears. But honestly, the game is like a solid retelling. It runs well, which surprisingly enough for, for 2023, I think this is one of the first new releases that I could say not only hasn't pushed my PC to the limit, but is actually like properly well optimized. Realistically, this could be just a separate rant altogether about how all the games being released this year were developed on 4090s and whether or not they were questionably tested on hardware that should still be relevant in the last three years. I don't know. The more I think about it, it's, it always feels like it's been seven years since they've been telling us that ray tracing is the way of the future. And every time I see global ray tracing, it's just like a commitment to play a game at 40 FPS. I feel like the world should be scaling back and trying to obtain tasteful ray tracing then pushing all these massive workloads for next to no gains. But I think you've heard me ramble enough. Thanks again for tuning into this episode. I'm glad I could have you here listening to my rants and rambles about Diablo 4 and what I hope is a solid game. Once again, my name is Dan. Thanks for listening.